I really wish I really wish we had like a weekly poll of like to rate the segue like one to ten. <laughs> and we could just get our, our like our our listeners That's to awesome. you know each week. How do we do with the segue? You're listening to the CXMH podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Bohr. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Hey, Holly. Hey, Robert. On today's episode, we talk with author and spiritual director Charlotte Donlin about loneliness, belonging, and what she learned through writing a book about those topics. But first, Holly, how are you this week? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm uh, good. I'm good. I just ate a blueberry muffin. I always love a blueberry muffin. That's like, mm. if you made a list of like, I always like these things, that'll be in there. So That's it's like awesome. blueberry muffins and root beer floats and chocolate covered pretzels. So, oh, um, but it's morning are- time. We're recording this in the morning. So I opted for <laughs> blueberry muffin. So uh, instead of chocolate covered pretzels. <laughs> yeah. Also, we don't have any. Otherwise, I might have eaten them. But uh, so I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. That's awesome. That's good. Excited to be back with you. I know we took last week off as Mm -hmm. it was Easter weekend and and things like that. So uh, it's good to be good to be back. Yeah, it's good to be here with you too. I know we've got my uh, daughter is sitting here too, right behind me, working on some schoolwork. So Mm -hmm. we just finished. um, Oh, she finished her school. She's just telling me she finished her school. There you go. So fun. So fun. The juggle, the pandemic parenting juggle is yeah. just, you know, uh, building resilience, I'll say. They, they, resilience. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So, a little strength yeah. perspective there. So, yeah. yeah, but we're doing well. We're excited about, you know, we got seven weeks left of the semester for our kiddos. And I've got one more week of teaching, and then um, I'm done with teaching for the semester. So, you know, so we're we're we are in the home stretch. That's how I'm feeling yeah. right now. So yeah, some, yeah, some light at the end of a tunnel here for yes. for this specific tunnel anyway. Yeah, for the, yeah for this specific tunnel. That's right. So, yeah. but no, we're doing That's good. Awesome. Yeah. So I have a question partially related to our conversation that we're going to have this week. So I recognize that through COVID, um, there are a lot of things that have changed and shifted and we've just had to adapt and transition with. But I'm curious, in light of our conversation today being focused on belonging, Hmm. I'm wondering what belonging has looked like for you uh, specifically through COVID or maybe for you and Brooke. Like what does belonging look like for y'all through this season? Yeah, that's interesting. I think – you know, I'm thinking back to to the conversation, right, that we yeah. had uh, because Charlotte talks about belonging to ourselves and to other people and to God, but also like to places and to art, right, and or through art. And so I'm I'm even thinking about how she talked about because we asked her kind of right like pandemic wise, what's happened here, um, yeah. and I think location wise is one of the things that she brought up, and I remember never having thought about belonging in that kind of way, but how much, how much more we went on walks and uh, Mm. explored kind of like our neighborhood and things like that. Obviously Mm -hmm. a little bit different in terms of like connecting with neighbors and thing, you know, you got to do that from a distance, 
but just in terms of like physical location, even our house, obviously, like I work fully from home now, you know, so we've transformed a couple of spaces that were kind of semi-functional into full on, okay, now this is like what we need it to be for for this to work. And so um, I think that that's probably been one of the more major shifts has Mm -hmm. been belonging location wise, like feeling a sense of uh, belonging to the neighborhood, uh, mm-hmm. like literally like the neighborhood itself, not necessarily like the, the people mm-hmm. again, right? But like just the the paths that we go on walks for or the parts we've explored that we hadn't before and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's probably been one of the bigger shifts just in terms of, of feeling that sense of kind of like belonging. But what about y'all? Yeah, no, that's that's good. I mean, I love that you elevated that piece about belonging to our places because that was uh, kind of a new take on thinking about belonging. I think that I really loved in this conversation that we had with her. I think, honestly, I think the belonging to ourselves and belonging to each other, like I definitely recognize that, you know, especially as uh, someone who identifies with type two on the Enneagram, like it's (laughs) solitude and, you know, uh, it's just not something that we're often we're just not doing as often i think for for various mm. reasons and i think yeah. the ability to have more of that solitude has invited more opportunity for belonging to you know ourselves or to myself in any way but um i think more than anything the belonging to each other as a family and recognizing that our ways of being pre-covid as a family are very different than our ways of being as a family now and mm-hmm. just the ways in which we do belong to each other coexist with one another in this space uh, recognizing that we have been together in this house all the time every day <laughs> doing you know yeah. juggling spelling tests before hopping on and doing um you know intros podcast for podcasts intros, yeah yes <laughs> And so, yeah, I just, I, I really appreciate the ways in which our belonging to each other as a family has grown um, over the yeah. last year, especially. So, yeah. 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 I love that. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, Brooke and I have been talking a lot recently, actually, about this idea. You know, we have a couple of friends or, or, or people that, that will kind of somewhat often bring up, like, I can't wait until things go back right? Like, yeah. I can't wait until they go back to normal and, yeah. and kind of this idea that we've been talking about of like, there is no going back. There's only that's going right. forward, right? That's and right. so, yeah. And that's like kind of a general, that's very therapist of me, mm-hmm. right? But just this idea of like, I don't think I want like poof everything to go back to the way right. they were. Hey, I don't right. think that's possible. But I, I even yep. don't think that I want that because of right. so much of what we've learned in terms of slowing some things down or yep. Yep. like you're talking about, right? Like we've we've kind of connected in different ways and learned some things about mm-hmm. each other and how we coexist and, and things like that, that what what of that can we kind of carry forwards and say yes okay that's right having gone through this experience right and this is for all of us even even societally right i think i think we can see that in terms of like the way that conversations have shifted some mm-hmm. things that have become maybe more apparent than they were mm-hmm. in terms of societal problems or you know um, yeah. and so just the idea of like carrying some of that forward i think is is great yeah yeah. No, I, I hear you. I mean, actually, Corey and I were just talking about that last night and some of the lessons that we have been navigating as parents with our kiddos that um, yeah. I I really am grateful for the ways in which we were invited to see some of the things that we've needed to be paying attention to differently. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because of this last year. And 
Uh, and, and it was interesting because it was almost like it was almost like a sliding doors conversation where it was like, you know, if some of these things had not uh, shifted in the last year, like where would we be right now um, mm. as a family and as individuals? And yeah, so yeah, that belonging to each other is just so I feel like that's been pretty profound in light of COVID in this last year. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of belonging, yeah. do you want to tell us a little bit more? I know you gave a brief intro at the beginning, but you want to say a little bit more about this week's episode? Yeah, I loved that segue. So props Thank to you. Thank you. But this week, like <laughs> I mentioned, we talk with Charlotte Donlin. So she recently, uh, I think it was November or some somewhere around there, published her first book, The Great Belonging, How Loneliness Leads Us to Each Other. Uh, and so we talk You're about- You're showing me the picture, the, I know, the book. I love me. it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we talk with her about, obviously, the topics of, like I mentioned, loneliness, uh, belonging in different ways, things like that. But what what I love about this conversation is it's not, she even mentions, right, like this this book is nothing like here are like 10 quick tips on how to belong, right? It's a kind of a series of reflections, uh, and, and highlighting of, okay, loneliness, being uncomfortable, and also it could it could highlight some places where maybe that it draws our attention mm-hmm. to how we belong or how we want to belong or things like that. Kind of like mm-hmm. what we're talking about here where obviously nobody would say this pandemic has been a great thing and um, yeah, like, that's right. everything was great. That's right. It, there's a lot of hard, really, really hard, yeah. obviously really terrible things. And it highlighted some things that then we said, okay, that, that kind of pointed out some things mm-hmm. that, that I do want you know, to be aware of moving forwards. And so mm-hmm. um, I thought it was I thought it was a, a great conversation. Glad to have her on. We will get out of the way and let y'all enjoy our conversation with Charlotte Donlin. All right. Enjoy y'all. Today, we are so excited to be joined by Charlotte Donlin. She is a writer who reads, a reader who writes, and a certified spiritual director. She holds an MFA in creative writing, uh, where she she studied creative nonfiction. Uh, Her work has appeared in the Washington Post, the Christian Century, Christianity Today, and lots of other places. Her first book that we're going to be talking about today is called The Great Belonging, How Loneliness Leads Us to Each Other, that came out in November 2020, which I would argue is potentially a, a fantastic time for it to come out, although probably not ideal for a book launch. <laughs> but Charlotte, thank you for coming on the show today. How are you? Well, thanks for having me. I am doing pretty well, actually, right now in this moment. Good. <laughs> so besides the uh, your official bio there, although I like shifted it around some I know, is there anything else that our audience should know about you? Probably that I'm also a mom. I have um, two teenage kids. My daughter is 18 and my son is 16. So I have had some other transitions in the past year yeah. um, with my daughter moving on to college and my son learning how to drive. Mm. I've also been married for almost 23 years. So there's that. Um, I love making connections between art and faith and place basically the the um sections of the great belonging are like my passions so belonging in various ways is still very important to how i experience my faith and relationships with other people and um also how i live in my creative life 
I love that. Well, we'll certainly talk about those sections. But as I mentioned, this book is called The Great Belonging. I'm going to hold it up as if anyone could see us. (laughs) The Great Belonging, How Loneliness Leads Us to Each Other. So, you know, to to start with, I'm curious as a spiritual director and just as a human being, what, what led you to write a book about loneliness? Because it's one of those topics that it seems like we can all kind of relate to, we like understand, but not one that we often take a, a deep dive into. So kind of what led to to writing a book on loneliness? Yeah, my husband, when I told him what my um, book proposal was on for this book proposal, it was probably my fifth book proposal. <laughs> he was like, really, people want to read about loneliness? <laughs> and I was like, you know, <laughs> I think, I hope, at least in the way that I'm going to be writing about it, it will be helpful mm-hmm. to people. Um, but what happened was I had a um, an experience with a publisher with one of my other book proposals where the senior acquisitions editor loved the proposal, loved the idea. It was a little different, still a little different, and it's sitting, you know, on my hard drive. Mm. And but it's not dead yet. It, it could come back around. Mm-hmm. Um, he loved mm-hmm. it. He took it to his team, his acquisitions team, and he said they had a robust conversation for and against the book. There were two sides, two teams, and they ultimately decided no. And um, when he told me this, he said, we just don't know what to do with you. And I was <laughs> like, okay. Oh, my goodness. It seems and very reassuring. He didn't mean it in a bad, like, he was like, I think you're a bit ahead of your, a bit ahead of Christian publishing. Um, Mm. I think we're going to have to catch up with you in some ways with this particular book. So it was kind of a compliment, but also it made me realize, like, it wasn't the rejection. It was, there's no place for me, right? Mm, So I'm a writer. I'm a Christian. My work is too Christian-y for secular market Mm. too secular for the christian market or too literary for the the christian market so i felt very alone um and it was at that point where i put language around that feeling of not having a place um within christian publishing or within publishing in general and then i just followed this trail backwards and i was like oh my god i've been dealing with loneliness and struggling with loneliness my whole life and that one experience just kind of opened up that floodgate of loneliness. And I started writing and reading and researching and working through it um, because we're not supposed to write out of our wounds before we've processed mm. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we can, but it's usually good to have some yeah. time and uh, sure. perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. I talked with my spiritual director a lot about loneliness at that point and the book proposal in the first few chapters just kind of happened quickly at that point and Broadleaf liked it and gave me a contract and that's how it happened. So that's a very long answer to your question, but, (laughs) um, and why, I guess while I was working on the proposal, it was clear to me that a lot of other people could probably relate, but not have the language also. Like we don't have a language for it and we don't talk about it. So while my husband would say, why would someone want to read about that, <laughs> uh, which he later loved the book and is very supportive, um, he just didn't want me to waste my time. People have given me wonderful feedback about how they've come to realize some of the ways they're lonely and some of the ways they belong after really taking the time to think about it and to read about it. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, and yeah, I'm glad that your your book was able to find its home with Broadleaf. I've heard many other authors kind of navigate that difficult tension in terms of like it's, you know, the Christian publishing versus the general you know, publishing and just finding that home can be really tricky. So I know some of the folks who are at Broadleaf, I'm really glad that it ended up finding its home there. It's really good. Yeah. Well, one one thing we're – so kind of building on what Robert had mentioned a little bit before, just asking just about loneliness in general, I think it can be really easy for us to think that loneliness like might mean that something's wrong with us or, um, you know, right from the beginning that like – you know, what we see in your book is that you're making a very different argument than that, that it's not about something is being wrong with us. You even write that being human requires a touch of loneliness. So in light of that, what is your view on loneliness and potentially what it offers us? What What is it, you know, what does it give us? Yeah, um, I do believe loneliness can be a good thing, which I don't think I could have said that before I wrote the book. Um, Mm. loneliness gives us an opportunity to think about the ways we belong. So that Mm. is, that's why I see it as something that can help us and benefit us, but it can also be a red flag in a marriage or a relationship at work or in our faith life and the way we're viewing God or the way we might feel God's absence or we think we feel God's absence. So I don't want to say, oh, loneliness is fantastic. It only leads to good things. <laughs> like That's not true. I mean, right. during, the, yeah. during the pandemic, people have suffered from loneliness and it's not good. And even though there might be some benefits from exploring it, it's still um, a way of um, that we suffer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I, I want to say also um, some people think that loneliness is a mental illness and, or they classify it with those things. And while it can be a symptom of mental illness, it's not in its in and of itself a mental illness. And I do write about my um, experiences with bipolar disorder and depression in the book and some of the ways loneliness is part of that. But um, I feel like that's one thing that I've had to reiterate over the past year is you know, it's not mental illness. It's okay to um, to feel lonely. It's okay to still have wonderful relationships with yourself, others, and God, and still experience loneliness. It doesn't mean doesn't have to mean that all of those things are broken. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think it's uh, you know you you write in the book about how we uh, tend to to view loneliness potentially as you know something kind of inherently wrong with me or something like that. And you even highlight a study that showed that. When, uh, when we talk about other people as lonely, people don't rate them negatively at all, but people who uh, rate themselves as lonely, right, feel very negatively about themselves. And I think it speaks to kind of that that dichotomy of like, oh, well, if you're lonely, that's kind of okay. But if I'm lonely, there's like something wrong, right? Um, which I think is part of the, the power of the book is where you write about, you know, if we can talk about lonely as not kind of like a this weird thing about me that is kind of uniquely broken about me, but like that we all experience loneliness across a variety of, of ways that that takes some of the the shame and the power and the weight out of it. Yes. And I will say that writing that chapter and doing that research and coming across that study was a huge aha moment for me. And 
thank God I came across mm. it early in the writing process. Um, I think writing the book would have been a lot more difficult and exploring this topic in general would have been more difficult if I hadn't come across that at all or if I'd come across it later in the process. So I'm really thankful that it worked out that way. Um, and yeah, it's, and when I read that study and thought about my own experiences, it totally made sense. You know, if my kids came to me and said, man, I'm really struggling with loneliness, I would not think less of them or, you know, I would show them compassion and try to understand where they're coming from and give them mm -hmm. space to acknowledge their loneliness. But yet there was a part of me that felt like there was something wrong with me because mm. I've not only do I struggle with it, but it's something I've had my whole life and something I will continue to have my whole life. So it would be easy to think, okay, what, why is this something I'm dealing with? What am I doing wrong Yeah, to create this? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I always love, I mean, anytime I hear folks bringing in the research into the work that they do and the writing that they do, it just makes my, my researcher heart so happy. Like, <laughs> I mean, I know I geek out over that stuff. And I love that, you know, just how you had noted that you had come across that earlier on in the writing process and just how, just the ways that like, you know, serendipity works that way. And as we're writing and yeah, I love that. It's good. Yeah, I've um I think that's one thing I really appreciate about earning the MFA at Seattle Pacific University. We spent a whole year on memoir writing and had to mm, like with with the instructor wow. I had my first year because she was like get it all out. Like <laughs> just, we know that's one reason you write creative nonfiction. So read memoirs, write it, and then the next year it was, okay, let's take what we've learned and how do we incorporate research and other people's experiences mm -hmm. and um, other elements of story that more people can connect with and relate to instead of just your personal story, which there's, I love memoir. I will read them all day long, but it was super helpful to move into that space um, from a writing standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. I love that. Yeah. So we might potentially tend to think of like the opposite of loneliness as connectedness or something, right? Uh, you offer the word belonging and then kind of unpack that. Can you tell us uh, the word belonging, right? Like what is what does that mean? Why why that word for you that like fits so perfectly in terms of the opposite of, of loneliness? Yeah. Again, this happened kind of early in the writing process. I revisited that essay by Marina Keegan. Um, which is also the name, the title of a book of some of her essays. And she unfortunately died in a car wreck soon after that essay was published um, her senior year at Yale. So it's a very sad story, um, but a lot of people have really benefited from her words. And I quote a portion of it in the book, um, a portion of her essay, and I just kept rereading it over and over. And she claims to not have a word for the opposite of loneliness. And I was like, there has to be a word, you know, <laughs> like if, if there's not one word, maybe there are several words. And if mm -hmm. I need to choose a word that I think fits, what would that be? So I'm pretty yeah. sure I pulled up thesaurus.com on my computer and looked at antonyms <laughs> and synonyms and yeah. all of those things. And um, when I thought about belonging, 
it just felt right within me that that is what I want. That is what we're made for. That is what, you know, when I'm feeling lonely, that's what I would want to feel instead. Yeah. I love that. No, that's good. Well, so I know you mentioned it before, but you you break your book into these chunks, right? So belonging to ourselves, belonging to each other, belonging to our places, belonging through art and belonging to God. I'd love to to hear about kind of each one of those, right? But, you know, why that one is kind of an important standalone, right? Because you might say, okay, belonging to friends, belonging to family, right? But you chose these ones. So like why those ones are important and then uh, maybe some ideas on like what that can look like, things like that. So obviously the first one is belonging to ourselves. Can you unpack that one a little bit for us? Yes. And um, I keep returning to the writing process and mm. I guess it's all just kind of this holistic thing for me. And I believe the way I write in the process is very um, prayerful in a way. And things happen when I'm writing that I don't know will happen. Like I don't, I may start a piece and not know where it's going to go. And then I land somewhere. Mm -hmm. So when I started writing the book, I just started writing chapters. And a few months later, I tried to sort through them. (laughs) Like what, okay, what is, if I'm looking at these 15, at that point, I had about 15, what we call chapters. And mm. um, it took a few hours, several hours to figure out what the themes were and how to sort them into stacks where they could be connected. And that was what unfolded through that process was, so the structure of the book and trying to discover the structure of the book led me to those different parts. And um, belonging to ourselves, those chapters in that section are just more about like knowing yourself and knowing what you believe and what what you don't believe and what you don't know that you believe or don't believe and knowing your passions and knowing what you want and knowing what your hopes are, um, knowing which dreams won't come true ever. And there's you know, some of the chapters could probably fit in other sections and we just had to kind of figure out which ones were best for which section. I want to say my editor at Broadleaf asked, well, why didn't you start with God and, Hmm. and then move toward yourself after that? And I was like, I mean, it could go either way. And in early in the book, I mentioned how connecting with God is kind of like the, a foundation for all the other sort of belongings But for me in that moment, and I still think I agree with it, it kind of starts with myself and then moves out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I had a lot of chapters about place and art. And so those fell into place. Um, (laughs) And then I thought it would make sense to end with God and how all of these other belongings ultimately bring us toward um, ways we belong to God. So one of the one of the ways in the belonging to ourselves chapter that you talk about is finding loneliness sometimes as like a mindfulness bell, like reminder, right? Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, I think that's in the chapter about our senses, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So there's at the time and I mean it's it's not as much now, but there was a lot of press about loneliness and loneliness in the news and you know, different like ministers of loneliness appointed in other countries and stuff. And most of the 
articles and things like that had to do with how loneliness affects us physically. And it was all negative, you know, and there really are health issues that loneliness makes worse and that loneliness can trigger. I'm sure there's some mystery and all that too. And it may be different for different people, but it made me, again, I just become curious when I read something. I'm like, well, what else? Like, how could feeling lonely, um, ring a bell, like in a positive way with regards to my body. And one way that I noticed that I belong is through the senses. So if I'm feeling lonely, I can stop and think, okay, what am I tasting, hearing, seeing right now or today? And, and what are some ways that I can, um, move toward belonging through my senses? And I offer a few different, um, examples of what that might be. Um, you know, listening to a song that reminds me of a season where, um, I belonged to a certain group of people or to myself even, or to God and, you know, playing that song and listening again, like there are ways that our bodies can, um, move us toward belonging when we're experiencing loneliness and, and we might even end up at a place where we're better off than if we had never experienced that loneliness. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, I, I definitely hear that. And I hear your, even as you were kind of just mentioning at the end, like that hesitation around like, there's a fine line in that sense of like, we don't want to have this like, well, you know, we're better off with loneliness in a way that like bypasses it or makes it like, you know, just, you know, but it's honoring that they're can be some good that comes out of the difficulty of loneliness, that it's it's not purely in that space of, of heartache and negativity, even though it is hard and difficult, but, but we certainly, you know, don't want to, you know, I'm thinking of like, I know that there have been times that like faith leaders will, you know, say some things and that are, that come across very bypassy. That's not a word, but I just made it one, but (laughs) (laughs) But then it is, you know, where they'll just be like, oh, but like, aren't you so grateful that God put you through that season of loneliness? And you're like, actually, I'm not because it was really hard and it was really hurtful and painful. And so, so I just want to, I could hear you kind of teasing Mm -hmm. out that nuance. I just wanted to amplify where you were. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. For our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I feel like I'm like one of the last people on earth who would be like, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, um, (laughs) that you are lonely all the time. I'm like, no, I'm not going to consider it joy because it sucks. Um, So, But thank you for clarifying because people who aren't familiar with me or my work or haven't read the book, like, like, oh, no, she's not doing that, is she? So, yeah, thank you. I do not want to do that at all. No, 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 no. I didn't hear that. I don't hear that in, in your, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so, so I guess as we move from this p- place of like belonging to ourselves, you also write about this space of belonging to each other. And you talk a little bit about just the importance of this, of us, I guess, belonging to each other, and what that looks like. So I'd love for you to unpack that. But then also, if you could think about or weave in pieces around like how we have navigated that in the last year and recognizing that, you know, finding those spaces of shared spaces have been difficult in light of COVID and a lot of ways in which we've lost that sense of 
physically being around each other and how that impacts our sense of belonging to each other or sense of loneliness within families. Anyways, I'd love for you, yeah, just to explain a little bit more about belonging to each other and then weaving in what is that, you know, what are your thoughts about that as we've navigated the last year? Yeah. So in in the book, and I'll kind of start there with answering your question, I write about um, different levels of belonging to others and um, like more intimate ways we belong to others, um, ways we've belonged to friends that we no longer <laughs> belong to them. Like I, there's a chapter about some friendships that I've lost for various reasons. And, um, you know, that's part of life. Friend- relationships change. And I, I write a bit more about how we belong to people we don't really know that well, like chance encounters, mm. people we come across um, at the park or in a coffee shop mm-hmm. or even, you know, in a group at a, you know, in a worship service or maybe even that would apply to a club you're in where you have a common interest or something like that. And um, I, it's hard for me to nail down anything. Like there is so much nuance and curiosity and um, mystery and everything yeah. that I think about. So, you know, that's the last thing this book is, is 10 ways to belong to other people. Um, <laughs> but I offer explorations of different angles of loneliness and belonging to encourage people to explore how they belong to other people. Um, and with regard to the pandemic, I think for me, ways that I've noticed new belongings are um, more importance on um, those loose tie relationships. And even though we've been at home a lot, if you go to the grocery store with your mask on and you see the same person at the checkout line three times over the course of six weeks, like that's meaningful. And while it seems trivial and it won't help you feel like you belong, it really does. There are studies and research that show that those loose tie relationships can help us feel like we belong more. Um, Now, on the Mm -hmm. other side of that coin, we lost a lot of our loose tie relationships. Um, Our hairstylists, our bartenders, our favorite servers at our favorite restaurants. So for me, it was, oh, no, I've lost those for a season. How can I... What are some new ones that I can look for and give my attention to and like put myself in the way of these people um, on a regular basis or as often as I can? Um, Our neighbors, we lived in a condo, um, not a huge complex, but enough where we would see people when we were checking in the mail or just in the parking lot if we're all, you know, going somewhere at the same time or coming home at the same time. And I had more conversations with my neighbors during the Mm. pandemic. We just moved recently a few weeks ago um, to a new place and I miss being with them. And of course I could drive over there or call them or text them, but there is value in like being connected to the people that you live near. Mm -hmm. Another way that helped me belong during the pandemic, and this is kind of silly, but because we were all at home, we, my husband and I noticed some neighbors that we'd never seen before. So more people were out running and walking because they don't go to their gyms, you know, cause the gyms were closed down and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it would have been awkward to introduce ourselves to them, 
but we made up stories about them, like fan fiction for our neighbors, <laughs> like what their names were <laughs> and like what what their jobs are. And, you know, there's this one guy. I don't know if you're <laughs> saying this, but the art of manliness, the guy who has that podcast, there was a neighbor that looked just like him. So we called him art of manliness guy. And then like there was a woman with him sometimes, but not other times. Or well, maybe she lives in Chattanooga. She's a nurse and she just comes, you know, we're just like <laughs> making these stories up and it, That's it's awesome. bizarre, but it helped me feel more connected to this stranger. I think because of the power of story and the way stories help us connect to other people and to mm. ourselves. So that's kind of a bizarre way to connect, but it really did help me feel like I belonged more to my place and the people around me. I yeah. love that. That's neat. I think I've thought a bunch, particularly at the beginning of the, the pandemic, uh, working with clients about how uh, we uh, kind of have maintained some of, a lot of like the face-to-face -face connections, not in person, obviously, but like I could FaceTime. And I know a lot of people like my family has talked more via Zoom than like my whole life combined, right? Even the ones that live further away. But what we've, we is like essentially impossible is so much of like the side to side, like I am doing a thing with you, right? Like we are attending an event or going to a concert, like so much of the shared experience. And there's only so many times that I can FaceTime you and say like, oh, how's your week, right? Like, oh, I don't know, I'm at home and there's a pandemic, right? And it strikes me that that's some of what you're talking about is like, I am just existing and doing life with these other people. And it's not like I'm sitting and having a, you know, a, a super in-depth hearing all about the cashier but just like me and these other people are existing. And so there's there's that kind of sense of I belong in this world. Um, mm. And I think that's so interesting because sometimes mostly what we think about obviously is like I haven't been able to hang out with my family or, you know, but you even write in the in the book about co-working spaces, which obviously, you know, in the last five, six years like exploded and then some of them collapsed, right? But then obviously in the last year, you couldn't just say, okay, I'm going to go to this co-working space or whatever. But uh, you write about how, you know, there's all sorts of statistics on people that work in co-working spaces, even if they don't know those people, like thrive, you know? So I love that. It's it's an interesting way of thinking about belonging in like a community without kind of the deep, like, I know everybody's exact name. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, to answer that question that I just answered, I could have picked 10 different ways to answer it. And I do think there has been, um, you know, Zoom calls and things like that sometimes make me feel lonely and sometimes make me feel like I'm belonging to whomever I'm talking to or listening to if it's an online, you know, I have done a few more kind of online workshop things than I'd done before, um, you know, book launch things, um, author conversations, things like that online, mm -hmm. which, which is a good thing because a lot of those book launch events don't happen in Birmingham, Alabama. So, you know, they hit LA, New York, Boston, and, you know, it's been fun to be able to log in and watch these things. Um, so there have been some benefits to this whole pandemic life, but I want to say in one of your recent episodes, I think the one where you did kind of a review of the past year, Robert mentioned, mm -hmm. um, and correct me if I miss the wording, but, um, your screen doesn't have a, a nervous, nervous system. system. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was so great. I mean, I love that sentence and idea. And even though we can connect, like we're connecting now having this conversation, but when I'm next to people or near like live people within like, you know, not closer than six feet, if I don't know them, 
there's still nervous systems walking around that I can see and know that they're living and seeing them take up physical space that does help me feel like I belong more so than maybe talking to my best friend on a zoom call. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. different. Yeah. You get, I'll say you get bonus points. I'm going to promote the episode more because you <laughs> listen to our show. It's, like, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I appreciate this unpacking around what you've written around belonging to each other, but I'd love to move into hearing your thoughts around the section where you write about belonging to our places. Like, what does that mean? And what does that look like? Yeah. Um, when I started doing research for the book, I, you know, Googled all kinds of belonging to X, belonging to Y, like all different kinds of topics. And when I thought about how we had moved from our first house that my husband and I lived in after we got married. Well, we lived in an apartment first and then we bought this house and our daughter was born while we were living there. And when we moved, it was an emotional experience. Like I felt like I was losing something that I had to grieve. Now I didn't have words for this at the time. I didn't know I needed to grieve a loss, but that's what was happening. And um, when I thought about that experience, I was like, you know, I belonged to that home, to that particular structure mm -hmm. and the particular piece of land that it was on in that particular neighborhood. And, and of course, my neighbors that I knew and loved and, you know, being in proximity to people, you know, I don't think I talked to them much after I moved away. And I kind of knew that was going to happen. So that one experience helped me think about other ways we belong to our places. And yet again, there's a whole lot of research out there about place attachment and how um, being attached to our places help us helps us feel less less alone. And most of the research has actually been targeted to, with elderly people who lose their places when they move to a nursing home or that kind of thing, um, or maybe move in with family members in a different city. So I, I couldn't find a whole lot of information for what I wanted, but when I started writing, it made sense. And um, even with the pandemic, you know, I walked more outside and that made me feel more connected to my particular the blocks around my home and even mm -hmm. the buildings that were there and the trees that were there because I'm watching them do their seasonal things and um, more intently than, you know, walking once a week because I'm also going to the gym and doing other things too. And then it also like belonging to our, to our homes and our living spaces and our kitchens I think I felt a new sense of that during the pandemic also because I was just home more and um, home more with my family. So there are more memories and experiences and conversations that we shared within this space. Um, so I think that kind of belonging to our place helped me um, during the pandemic. And I, you didn't ask me that part, but I'm just <laughs> thinking about no, it while I'm talking. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I... And even now, you know, since we've moved, we actually moved to a neighborhood that I lived in after I graduated from, or while I was in college and after I graduated from college. And it's been interesting to think about how I've belonged to this place in the past and how I'm belonging to it now and how I'd like to belong to it a year from now. And um, 
you know, we could use different words to talk about this topic. You know, it could be, you know, valuing, valuing place or a philosophy of place. And part of being a writer is just using words that make it sound like what you want to say. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, I, because the book was about loneliness and belonging, I just kind of found that angle of belonging to place when people think about this all the time, but might not have ever thought about it that way. Yeah. No, I love that. I, I, yeah. I'm, I would be curious how, how many people have some sense of a, a strong or a shift in, okay, I, I feel much more of a sense of connection or belonging to my home or my neighborhood or whatever now than they did a year ago, where maybe it was my office space or, you know, I, I would be curious, you know, just as you mentioned that I thought about like, yeah, I, yeah, I've walked around my neighborhood way more in the last year or, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. Um, so the next one was one that was really interesting to me at first when I kind of looked at it, right? I thought, okay, some of these make sense. This one is interesting to me, um, but it's belonging through art. What do you mean? <laughs> yes. So this was one of the sections where I had all of these essays which I had to call chapters because I was writing an actual book at this point about art. You know, the music, the chapter about music was one reading the two novels and how those helped me feel like I belong. And, you know, when I grouped them together, I was like, okay, art helps me belong, like engaging art, books, poems, music, film, live theater, you know, all kinds of different art writing helps me feel like I belong and not only like to the work because I think there is a way we belong to an artwork when we engage with it and come face to face with it but also to myself to others to some degree and to God to some degree and I want to say doing the um Visio Divina at the Georgia Oak mm -hmm. Museum mm -hmm. was when it all clicked into place and I was like oh because I had these chapters that had elements of art in them. But when I had that experience on that day, I was like, this is a huge way I experience my faith and how I connect with God is through art. And I thought about ways like my whole life that I've done that even before, you know, um, I would have called myself a Christian or whatever. Um Art helps me, at least, and I, I think others, um, explore mystery and explore questions and engage beauty and feel less alone in the world because, again, of the power of stories or um, an image that makes me think about something in a new way that I've never thought about it before. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually, I mean, the the section on place and the section on art are where my two new books are right now. Like I've, it's kind of an offshoot of place for one book mm -hmm. and one of art for the other book, which is interesting to me. I didn't know that was happening, but like those were the sections that were newer to me, I guess, you know, like this is a, a these are ways we belong. So let's move deeper into that and see what else our places hold for us and what else art, art can hold for us. 
Yeah, that's so good. That's so, so good. I, I'm excited to hear about your next couple of books when the time comes. That's so exciting. Well, I do want to be mindful of our time because I know we're getting close to time, but I'd love, um, I guess, before we close, if there's a few thoughts you want to add, particularly around belonging to God, because I don't want to skip that piece in our conversation, but certainly invite our listeners to learn more about it and um, and all of the all of that you are writing about as it relates to belonging in this book. But do you want to share a few thoughts around belonging to God for our listeners? Sure. And I mentioned earlier that r- really, actually, all of the belongings kind of work together, and you know, can yeah. point to the other belongings. And you know, anyone listening could probably come up with five other ways that they experience belonging. This was just a way to create a book that made sense and have, you know, some mm-hmm. sort of, um, organizational structure to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, you know, I am a Christian and there are ways I sense God's presence and, um, ways I'm connected to God. I also can feel disconnected. Um, and there are certain things I do that work for me that probably work for other Christians, things that ever, generations of Christendom that people have done like prayer and um, worship and those sorts of things. For me personally, more contemplative practices um, help me feel like I belong to God. But also people who aren't Christians have read this book and have appreciated the chapters about God, even though they don't believe the same things I believe, which is a huge, like huge to me. That's what I'd hoped would happen. And when I spoke about loneliness at an a, a, um, event before the pandemic, when I was just starting to write the book, I used language such as belonging to the belonging to the world in ways that are meaningful and um, nourishing. And I think so. I think when people um, who don't have the same kind of faith that I have they still kind of connect with it because it's a, it's bigger. Mm-hmm. There's something more there, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now I believe in God and I, you know, believe in the apostles creed and everything, but I, I also believe that there's more happening there and a, a sort of belonging to something larger than ourselves that anyone could um, kind of connect with and relate to. Yeah. I love that. Well, if you want to connect with Charlotte, you can find her at charlottedonlin.com on Twitter or Instagram at charlottedonlin. And you can buy The Great Belonging, How Loneliness Leads Us to Each Other, wherever you buy books. You can connect with Holly at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. You can connect with me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at robertvore. Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? No, just thank you so much for um for having me on and you know, I'm happy to talk about loneliness and belonging whenever wherever and I hope that readers of the book or listeners of this podcast will be encouraged to also talk about loneliness because I believe when we talk about loneliness, um it has less power over us. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. 
Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH Podcast at gmail.com. 